0: and sits at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. From thence he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the holy Christian church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. All right, we'll continue with our hymn of the month, Glorious Things of You Are Spoken. And for Pastor Appreciation Month, I got this very nice pitch pipe. So we'll st- we'll start on the right note. Oh, mm.
1: <laughs> oh I did Glorious things of you are spoken, Zion, city of our God, He whose word cannot be broken formed you for his own abode. On the rock of ages founded, what can shake your sure repose? With salvation all surrounded, you may smile at all your foes. See the streams of living waters Springing from eternal love Well supply your sons and daughters And all fear of what remove Who can faint while such a river never will their thirst assuage. Grace which like the Lord the giver never fails from age to age. Round each habitation hovering see the cloud and Fire appear for a glory and a covering showing that the Lord is near thus deriving from their banner light by night and shade by day upon the manna which God gives them on their way. Save your sins of Zion's city. I through grace remember her Let the world ride or pity I will glory in Your name. Fading are the world's vain pleasures, all their post-pomp and show. Solid joys and lasting treasures, none but Thy unseen. All right, we'll continue with the
0: catechism memory work. Who receives the sacrament worthily? Fasting and bodily preparation are certainly fine outward training, but that person who is truly worthy and well-prepared, who has faith in these words, given and shed for you for the forgiveness of sins. But anyone who does not believe these words or doubts them is unworthy and unprepared. For the words for you require all hearts to believe. And the Bible memory work. Therefore, whoever drinks drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the Lord's body and blood. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. And Luther's morning prayer. I thank you, my heavenly Father, through Jesus Christ, your dear Son, that you have kept me this night from all harm and danger. And I pray that you would keep me this day also from sin and every evil, that all my doings in life may please you. For into your hands I commend myself My body and soul and all things, let your holy angel be with me, that the evil foe may have no power over me. Amen. The Almighty and merciful Lord, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, bless us and keep us. Amen. All right, kids can go off to Sunday school. So the thing that struck me in the Hymn of the Month today is uh, stanza three, that it's about the Old Testament. Uh, Round each habitation hovering, see the cloud and fire appear, for a glory and a covering, showing that the Lord is near. Uh, so it's talking about the in the wilderness wanderings, when God shows his glory and his presence and his protection for the people of Israel by giving them fire by night and a cloud by day to follow. And um, they and and so we got all these kind of Old Testament references here, right? Safe they feed upon the manna, which God gives them on their way. What's interesting is the hymn as a whole is about Dwelling in the city of God as New Testament Christians, right? As, and you get that in stanza four. Savior, your sense of Zion's city, I through grace a member am. Let the world deride or pity, I will glory in your name. And so when we think about the Old Testament, I think it's right, as this hymn does, to see ourselves as part of that, right? Not that we're under the Old Covenant. We're going to talk about the Old and the New Covenants when we talk about Jeremiah, Not that we're under the Old Covenant anymore, but that there is a continuation of the people of God, the city of God, God's presence and God's glory. It's the same God in both the Old and New Testament. There is a continuation of these things, right? There are certain things that change when Jesus comes, but not everything does. Now, of course, we don't literally have a cloud by day and a fire by night uh, to guard and protect us and to show us, you know, which direction we need to walk in. Right. But um, we do still have God's glory and God's presence with us. Right. And, and in a sense, we always have had uh, the ruling of God's light in the earth. I, I, I was thinking about this recently. I, I started listening to this audio book about um, creation and one of the points the guy makes is that we don't ha- – like, children have this, like, wonder about creation, right? Like, they they pick up sticks and leaves and-, and-, and rocks and look at pictures of mountains and think it's just the most amazing thing ever, right? And we, we become so used to-, to these things. Like, we just think, oh, yep, there's another day with the sun in the sky. It's not a day when it's raining, right? Um but he was talking about like having wonder about creation and then – and especially from a biblical view. Like we as adults, we become very scientific about about things, right? Like we just explain things like, oh, that's just nature, right? But um, in the Bible, if you go back to the, the beginning of creation, the sun and the moon, they're not just like – they're not described as balls of gas, Right? Um, Genesis one describes, first of all, the, the light is, is created before the sun and the moon and the light is coming from God himself at that time. Right. And then on day four, God allows his, his light, the light that comes from God to dwell in the greater light, the sun to rule the day and the lesser light, the moon to rule the night. Um, why am I talking about this? Uh, any, anyhow. Yeah. So, um, We don't have a cloud and fire like the Israelites in the wilderness wanderings did. That was a specific revelation of of God's glory for them. But we still, for one, do have the sun and the moon, right? We have the stars and the sky and and the heavens. And and we can see God's glory in creation, right? In the clouds and in the the sun and whatnot. Um, But also, we... Have God's presence and his glory with us in the temple that we have, in the church, right? And we do have a different kind of manna. We have a different kind of bread of life, right? We have the Lord's Supper. And we have Christ's presence with us in his word and in his sacraments. And uh, these are our, I would say, our cloud and our fire, right? That as God's word teaches us As his present comes presence comes to us in the in the divine service, right, that we are being guided and protected and shown God's glory and God's presence. Right? And um we we have these things. Right? These are things that belong to us as New Testament Christians. So I, I like how the hymn just uses that old testament language and and just it doesn't even try and draw any analogies really it just simply applies it to us right it just says uh, round each habitation hovering see the cloud and fire appear right and, and you're supposed to kind of know what these things are so um anyhow I I this is a great hymn it's one of my favorite hymns so um, I don't know what we're doing next month I have to figure that out probably tomorrow so I'll let you know but um yeah hey, sir, yes where we live you can see some beautiful
1: sunset. Oh yeah. oh yeah. Beautiful. And you just say a little prayer of thanks that you're gonna see Yeah,
0: absolutely. Yeah, it's always good. Always, always and it's nice. it's uh if you ever end up in a place where you, you don't have light pollution, you kinda gotta go a decent ways away from Memphis. Um yeah. but if you, you can get away from light pollution and and look at the stars in the sky one night so on a clear night. Mm-hmm. It's it's really something. Yeah, right. And think about yeah. Abraham, yeah,
1: Our
0: right. Think
1: have.
0: yeah. Think about Abraham in the desert, before electricity, yeah. right? When God gives him this promise that you know your your nation, your offspring is going to be like the stars of the sky, right? I mean, they literally are uncountable. Um, anyway. What's that? That's a that's
1: thing too. That are about Abraham is supposed to also be the father of many nations. Right.
0: It is. Um, yeah, we gotta. I think we, I, I really do think we have to recover, like, God's glory in creation. I, I think uh, we've become way too naturalistic about these things. Yeah, and ta- take it for granted. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Or oh, nice. rainbows. Rainbows oh, yeah. are great. Yeah. yeah. yeah
1: just starts to warm up after the sun starts coming up and you hear the birds get really yeah. active singing. Oh, right. yeah, oh, yeah. Like a thousand yeah. birds singing all the yeah. songs. You mm-hmm. kind of think of like the... Yeah, it's I know that's a little over the top, but yeah, almost like the choir of
0: angels. No, I think... Uh, yeah, I think, I think we have to think that way.
1: Um, I know at those times you feel close to the Lord. Yeah. You really do. 100%. Yeah,
0: totally agree. All right. Um... So uh, I'm not going to spend a lot of time. I'm not going to spend any time on the catechism. So we're, we're entering into Jeremiah, the next prophet. So we just finished Zephaniah. And um, if you go down the list of, of prophets, Jeremiah is the next prophet of Judah. And these next number of prophets are going to actually um, be, be right at the end of Judah's existence, right? Before, before the Babylonian captivity. And Jeremiah himself actually overlaps with the end of Judah and the beginning of exile. So part of his part of the book has to do with the end of of Judah and the coming of the exile. And then he actually also recounts going into exile, and he himself is taken into prison a, a couple times. And it's actually a good a good uh, look. Maybe we'll look at some of those passages that um, you can kind of see how, he, how exile starts to work because Jeremiah as a prophet is exiled and then he gets to come back for a little bit and, and it's kind of a complicated situation. But remember, if you remember back when I was explaining how exile worked, um, it's like that that people are separated and taken to different places and moved around and and these types of things. So that happens to Jeremiah. Anyhow, um, but if you read uh, 1 verse 1 in the book of Jeremiah, the words of Jeremiah, the son of Hilkiah of the priest who were in Anathoth in the land of Benjamin, to whom the word of the Lord came in the days of Josiah, king of Ammon. So he uh, prophesies first in the year of Josiah in the 13th year of his reign. It came also in the days of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, until the 11th year of Zedekiah, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, until the carrying away of Jerusalem captive in the fifth month. So he gets, we get five months of exile, right, starting with Josiah, so like the third to last king or something like that, if I remember right, and then going five months into the exile. So that's... Um, uh, hit the time in which he prophesies, right? So um, just as far as background goes, we're we're talking about Josiah through the exile. And so he's in the years approximately, I went and wrote him down. You can compare him with your sheet if you want, uh, 628 to uh, 580 BC. All right. um, The next point of background that we should mention for Jeremiah, the book of Jeremiah, is that it is uh, not in chronological order. So whenever we read through the book of Jeremiah, this is going to be important because he's going to bounce around. Uh, for instance, he's going to recount the siege of Jerusalem two different times, once in chapter 39 and once in chapter uh, 52, right? Um, that there's multiple, uh, like, recountings of things. And really what this is, is a, if you've ever read um, or seen something in literature called, like, a collection right so you might have like for instance a collection of short stories by a certain author or something like that the, whenever those are edited together right or like and like i have like a, you know luther's works on my shelf in there right and there are books that have um they're organized by topic so like luther's writings on society like church and society right those don't necessarily go in the order that he wrote them Um, because it's done by topic. So those are like collections, right? So um, what the book of Jeremiah is, is a collection of Jeremiah's prophecies, his prophecies, his sermons, and even stories about Jeremiah himself. And we know from chapter 36 that he had the help. um, So Jeremiah was a prophet, but he had the help of a scribe who wrote things down for him named Baruch. So uh, this is probably the only instance that I can think of in the Bible like this. Well, we know that um, that Mark was the scribe of Peter. So I guess we have that. So the book of Mark, the gospel of Mark, is really the eyewitness account of Peter. Mark wrote it down. But, uh, so it's kind of similarly, I guess. But, but otherwise, this is the main, main instance of this I can think of, that we have a, a scribe for a guy – um, who collects his works for him, right, and writes them down. And chapter 36, where we find that out, is is pretty interesting. Um, it's a good story of what happens. Uh, so, so anyway, that's uh, the kind of structure of the book is just keep in mind there's – it's kind of all over the place. And our outline is going to be – this is going to be the longest outline we've had. And the other reason this is going to be the longest outline we have is that uh, this is the second longest book in Scripture uh, to the Psalms. Now, it depends on how you count. Um, This is the second – truly the second longest because it's the second longest in terms of individual words and word count, right? Now, Isaiah has more chapters. Um, There are – and then I think a different book. Maybe it's Ezekiel or something like that has more verses total, but in terms of words, uh, Jeremiah is the second longest. Psalms Psalms outranks all the all of them in in all three categories. But um, next to the Psalms, the book of the Psal- the Psalter, uh, Jeremiah is the second longest book in Scripture. So it is probably going to take us a couple weeks to get through. So just forewarning. Um, I'm going to be honest with myself for once that I'm not going to get through it all all in one day okay Uh, so that's really the background that you need to know Um, like Jeremiah says there in one verse one he's uh, a a son of priest right he's son of Hilkiah and he is is called by the Lord to prophesy we're going to talk a little bit about his call in chapter one he's got a some of the callings of the prophets are particularly interesting. We are like when we talk about Isaiah with chapter six in Isaiah, right? His calling um, in the temple with his the experience of the Lord is, is quite interesting. Jeremiah also has a fairly interesting calling uh, that we'll look at here. All right. But uh, let's look at some themes then. Unless there's any questions on his background. All right. Uh, So the first theme we want to look at is the written and enacted word. The written and enacted word. So Jeremiah is um, of particular note that... Well let, let me start here God's word in one sense has always been verbally passed down right so from Adam until Moses it was verbal tradition right oral tradition that carried on God's word right that carried on these stories of Adam and Eve and and Abraham and and Isaac and Jacob and and Joseph right. Because Moses is the one who writes all these things down, right? Scripture testifies these are the books of Moses. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. So before you get to Moses, right, it's all oral tradition. And we can talk about how oral tradition works and how it's actually very accurate in these cultures and things like that. But uh, Moses is commanded to write these things down. Right? And then at a certain point um, from then on, it's important that not only is the word spoken, not only is it passed down orally, not only is it preached, that's always important, but that it's also written. And we've come across this a few times. Uh, what what prof, prophet was it that had the, a thing about the written word as well? Was it, um, it was Habakkuk, right? Habakkuk had something about the written word. Um, anyway, but sometimes in these prophets we'll get these phrases about how the Lord commands them to write it down. Mm-hmm. And that's important because the the written word is how God planned from eternity, I believe, to preserve his word. And it it's interesting. So like, for instance, when you get the when the New Testament is completed, in the early church, they were not afraid to copy it and distribute it. Right? There was this with other kinds of writings, with like say like Homer or something, there was this fear that the more people copied, the more heirs there were gonna be. And so people they would only be for professional scribes to make a few copies. Also, it was expensive to make copies. Because they, it's like hand copying, right? Well, Christians never had that fear. They were like, copy it, copy it, copy it, send it everywhere, right? And in fact, in in the long term of history, we actually are much more sure now about what the Bible, the original Bible says than we are about like what the original Homer says because we have so many more copies to compare, Right. And because the scribes were very careful in what they did, and in fact, they, you know, 99% of it all agrees with with one another, right? So we're very confident about the Bible that we have. So the written word is important because it has to do with God's preservation of his word, right? God's not going to let his word fall away, right? The word of the Lord endures forever. Man is like grass. Man fades. It withers. But the word of the Lord endures forever, And that word was meant to be written. Right. And that's why it's I think it's very important that we have, you know, Bibles today. Right. And um, anyway, I could go on and on about that. But there's this uh, theme in Jeremiah about the written word. Right. And that's why we get this whole thing about about Baruch is that. uh, (laughs) So in chapter 36, we'll, we'll get there, but. Um, there's this, this king is frustrated at Jeremiah's words, so he takes Jeremiah's scroll and burns it. And then Jeremiah just prophesies to Baruch again and has him write another scroll right there on the spot. Right? <laughs> and it happens like twice. And then, and then uh, basically the, the takeaway is that the word, the written word, you can't get rid of it. It, it, of it. it endures, right? It, and it wins. It's victorious. The other aspect of the word in Jeremiah is the enacted word. So multiple times throughout Jeremiah, he'll go and act out, if you will, what the Lord prophesies for him to do. So for instance, maybe most famously in chapter seven, he's got this temple sermon. And what he does in the temple sermon is he's going to preach against what's going on in the temple that's wicked. And he goes and stands in the doorway of the temple and starts preaching about what's going on inside the temple and what's going on outside the temple. So he kind of acts out the prophecy. Um, Also, in uh, chapter 18, um, for instance, he talks – you you, you might be familiar with this passage. He talks about the potter and the clay, how God's the potter and – Israel is the clay, and he goes to the potter's house to preach that sermon and to prophesy, right? So um, it's a kind of interesting phenomenon that happens, but I think what he's showing in those things is that the word actually applies, right? The word actually is efficacious in changing people's lives and in doing something in a real place in a real time, right? That it's not just kind of a, when we think about the written word, right? It's not just a book on a shelf somewhere, but as scripture itself testifies, it's a living word, an active word, right? Sharper than any double-edged sword. And it's an efficacious word um, and that's why he's able to, in the, in this sense, kind of act it out, right? Because he's bringing it right into the lives of the people. Okay. The next uh, theme we want to deal with is kind of, actually, part of what we were just talking about is uh, the, the theme of the land or of creation. And with all these prophets, right, we've gotten this kind of law and gospel type of thing where there's some sort of destruction and then some sort of restoration or some sort of um, law preaching and then some sort of gospel preaching, if you will. Well, the way that Jeremiah majoritively, not majoritively, but um, the way that Jeremiah handles a lot of that is that this, this theme of the land and that things are going to be uprooted, is kind of the language he uses, uh, uprooted and tore down. And then, on the other hand, things are going to be planted and healed, right? So kind of like you would heal a, a plant that was sick, Right. If like you have a tree that's kind of falling over and, and you have to brace it up so it can it can heal, right? Or if it's got a fungus and you have to put fungicide on it so it can heal. That kind of idea. So the land is going to be uprooted and tore down, right? So it's like a it's like it's gonna be tilled. It's like a garden, right? It's gonna be everything's gonna be uprooted and, and torn out. Right, they're gonna, the weeds are going to be torn out of the land, and then he's going to plant a new garden. Right, God's going to plant a new garden. So this is kind of the image that Jeremiah likes to use for describing Judah and describing Israel, that they're going to be uprooted. Right, and and they and and we use this language to talk about what happens uh, to nations like Judah. Right, whenever. Whenever a nation is sieged and the people have to leave, right, they are, what do we say? They're uprooted from their homes, right? And this is the language Jeremiah uses. So the the people of Judah are uprooted and the the city is tore down. But then God's going to eventually plant and restore and heal, okay? There's kind of the language that he uses. All right, the uh, next theme that we want to look at is the theme of the covenant. And we have, with the covenant, the Old and the New. And it's interesting because we use this language all the time in, in the church and in theology to talk about kind of the distinction, distinction between the Old and New Testaments. And, um, you know, the, maybe the most famous place that we get this language is, this is the New Covenant in my blood shed for you for the forgiveness of sins from the words of institution, right? Um, However, it actually only appears in Scripture a few times. It's not actually popular Scripture language, right? It does appear in Scripture, right? Uh, Obviously, there in the Lord's Supper. And then in Jeremiah 31, he talks about the Old and the New Covenants. Um, Now... I believe, if I'm not mistaken, that Je- Jeremiah 31 is the only place that the Old Testament talks about the new covenant um, in that language. It talks about it all the time, just not in that, that exact language. Now, it does use the language of covenant all the time. Like when, um, God, when God goes to Adam and to Noah and to Abraham and to all, the, all these people, he, he's constantly saying, I'm going to make a covenant with you. I'm going to make a covenant with you. I'm going to make a covenant with you. And uh, that's definitely lang- that's definitely part of the language of the Old Testament in that sense. But this uh, this this contrast I'm saying between the old and new covenant is kind of not that popular in Scripture. But uh, Jeremiah is the one that really brings it out in, in chapter 31. So we'll take a look at that. But uh, regardless, the the whole idea of the theme is there though that. Basically, so what is a covenant? A covenant is a co- it's like a contract between two parties, right? And you have um, both both parties have a have an end of the bargain to uphold, and both and with that there are attendant blessings and curses, right? So if the if the contract's upheld, there's going to be certain blessings that are involved. If it's broken, there's going to be certain curses that are involved. And God makes this old covenant with his people, right? And his, his covenant is that he's going to uh, have mercy on his people and he's going to save his people and that they need to follow him alone, right? They need to be faithful to him. Now, the amazing thing about the, script, the story of scripture is that the old covenant, the people fell, right? They don't follow what he says, Right? And, and, you know, all these laws that we get in the book of, the books of Moses, the people basically utterly fail to do. right And that's been the story of the divided kingdom is they're supposed to be uh, worshiping God alone. They're supposed to have been taken over uh, the land of Canaan and made it a Christian nation. They're supposed to have uh, been following all these regulations of the temple and the tabernacle. And all these things, and they haven't done it, they've they've totally failed in every aspect of it. What's amazing is that the Lord continues to have mercy on them. He does punish them, right? There are, again, there are attendant curses for breaking the covenant. And that's why we get the Babylonian exile, for instance. But God is so merciful that he keeps his mercy even though he doesn't have to. And he actually says, instead of keeping the old covenant uh, forever, he says, "I'm gonna make a new covenant with you that's gonna be even better." And that's the the covenant that comes with with Jesus Christ in, incarnate, right? That's the new that's the new covenant that comes in the blood of Jesus Christ. And so, uh, anyway, well, we'll talk about that more in, in chapter 31. But that's something that. And that goes again with this tore down and and planted, uprooted and planted, right? That God's going to ultimately take – put to an end this old covenant and and establish a new covenant. But really it's not that – with the old new covenants, it's also not that the new simply replaces the old. The old is subsumed into the new. Because Jesus Christ actually in himself fulfills everything of the old covenant, right? And that's what I was saying earlier uh, about the hymn, for instance, that the Old Testament is ours, right? Like, in a sense, yes, things of the old covenant, like the cloud and fire, you know, have gone away. But really, we have the cloud and fire in Jesus Christ. We have... The, all the blessings of the old covenant, the glory of him in the temple, the glory of, of the cloud and the fire, right? all these blessings of the old covenant, we have in Jesus Christ, right? a sacrifice for the forgiveness of sins. We have it in Jesus Christ. Um, you can read Hebrews on this. So it's, it's not really that the new replaces the old. It's that the old gets subsumed into the new. It's like it gets updated in a way. All right, So... Um, Anyhow, that's the covenant stuff. All right. uh, Finally, um, the last thing we'll look at is the theme of uh, faithless shepherds and the faithful shepherd. The Messiah that's coming right and he's also called in that same with that same language interestingly enough the righteous branch so um Jeremiah is kind of bad about this as are many of the prophets about mixing metaphors <laughs> so he'll be talking about shepherds but then all of a sudden he's talking about the stump of Jesse and a righteous branch out of the line of David right so um but especially this faithless shepherds idea is important to Jeremiah that, and this is something we mentioned, I think, with Zephaniah as well, is that not only are the people of Judah unfaithful, right? Not only have the commoners, if you will, or the or the lay people, right, not only have the um, just you know your average people that live in Judah, not only have they become idolatrous. And not only have the kings become idolatrous, but the prophets, priests, and kings have all become idolatrous. Not every single one of them, but by and large, the leaders, right, the shepherds of the people of Judah have become idolatrous. And especially, he goes after the priests and the prophets, right, his people. Right, his brother pastors, if you will. And um, what, what he talks about is how horrendous this is. Right, It's one thing for the people to go off and do their own way. And, and do their own thing. right, To go their own ways. It's another thing for the shepherds, the prophets and the priests of the Lord, to lead them astray. Right? And that they're going to be judged more strictly for that. And that that is one of the worst things that happens in the land of Judah. That is contrasted with the promise of the Messiah. That there's going to be a righteous branch. There's going to be a faithful shepherd. There's going to be a leader that is raised up. That is not going to fall into faithlessness. But that will be faithful and will be the salvation of the people. So it's a kind of interesting contrast, right? You would think that, um, I mean, certainly like the king is going to be contrasted. Like we've seen that throughout the kings is that Jesus is constantly contrasted to the kings because there's only one true king of heaven and earth. But he's also contrasted to the prophets and priests, right? Right. And they, they, we all, sometimes we talk about this in theology, that the, the threefold office of Christ is that of prophet, priest, and king. These are the, the offices that he occupies when he comes to earth. So just like I'm in the office of pastor or um, Steve is in the office of elder, right? That we have these offices that we occupy, right? Or Joe Biden is the, in the office of the president, right? Something like that. We use that term office. It's kind of what we're talking about is these assigned jobs that people have, right? Prophet, priest, and king. It's the jobs of the, the assigned offices of, of the Messiah alright that's all our main themes that we're going to look at in the book of Jeremiah we can start on the outline we have about eight minutes any questions so far
1: if you're going to erase that I'd like to take a picture of it so we don't have to write it down for review next week um, go ahead yes <laughs>
0: You got it? Yeah. Okay. All right. Um, we'll just start on this side of the board and see how far we get. All right. So this is going to be, again, kind of our largest outline, um, I, th- I think. Because it's a collection, again, it's much more all over the place. Isaiah is long, but he's got a very simple outline, unlike Jeremiah. So that's how it goes. So uh, we'll start with chapter one. And this is the call. Of Jeremiah, and uh, well, we're going to pull a key passage from each of the sections in the outline. So um, we'll go back and look at these later. So right now, all we're going to do is just write this down. Okay. Chapters two through twenty-five are basically warnings to Judah. So this is all the stuff about how they're gonna be uprooted, um, where they've become idolatrous, so on and so forth. And it's specifically warnings to Judah. Now within that big section, um, we'll have a couple, basically in this outline, what I'm gonna do is just sh- is just pull out the highlights of the bigger sections. I'm not gonna out- give you an outline for every single chapter because that's a very long outline. Um, this is the, this is the simplest outline I could make. I, I, I uh, compared a bunch of outlines to try and 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 figure it out and re, you know reading through the book. And um, this is the simplest outline I could make in, in preparing for this. So uh, a couple of the highlights within this two to twenty five section are in chapter seven, we have the temple Sermon. In chapter 8, we have the... Uh, it's a somewhat somewhat famous verse, uh, the balm in Gilead. Is there a balm in Gilead? In chapters 18 through 20, we get the potter and clay. In chapters... Uh, Twenty three, in Chapter Twenty three, we get the uh, faithless shepherds and righteous branch. In Chapter Twenty five, um, we get kind of a summary of this first part of the book. Of the warnings, and then also specifically culminating in the cup of wrath, in the cup of the Lord's wrath. Okay? Which I think I just realized I wanna put that here. I wanna make sure we talk about that when we go to the key passages. All right, then the next big section is uh, 26 through 45. And by the way, the reason I give you these outlines, um, I know maybe, maybe outlines are boring to some people, but if you can grasp the outline of the book, it makes it a lot easier, in my opinion, to read because then you know where you are and kind of where you're going right, and um, what the co- overall context is, right. So I, I find it very helpful. Um, if you want me to stop talking about outlines, I can do that, but, but I, I find them very helpful for studying the book as a whole just to get a 10,000-foot view of what's contained in this book, right, what's going on. All right, uh, so in 26 through 45, we have a couple different highlights. Um, 26 through... Uh, 29 these are some of the passages about Jeremiah himself being persecuted so kind of going along with this faithless shepherds theme as well one of the things that happens in the book is that the faithful shep one of the faithful prophets Jeremiah himself gets persecuted um, while the faithful shepherds get to go on scotch-free. So it's kind of an interesting contrast that goes on there. Okay. Um, then 30 through 33 are these messages of hope and the the new covenant uh, as well in chapter 31. 36, we already mentioned, is the... The scroll and the written word, the story of the scroll and the written word. And then uh, 39 through 45 is all about the siege or the destruction of Judah. So you can notice it's kind of, again, it is kind of all over the place, right? We have like warnings up here. But then we have the messages of hope, and we have stories about Jeremiah, and then we got a story about the scroll, and then we have the de- account of the destruction of Judah, right? It's kind of just all over the place. All right. And then in chapters 46 through 51, uh, we have um, both judgment and hope for other nations. Right. So now he gets expanded outside of just Judah and looks at some of the other nations. Now in forty six through forty nine, um, that's, you know a bunch of nations. He does a very similar thing to Jeremiah, where he kind of draws a circle around Jerusalem, right? Philistia, Moab, Ammon, all these all these places. But then, interestingly, in 50 and 51, he spends two chapters talking about Babylon. And this whole book, right? This is right near the end of the book. The whole book, he has been talking about how Babylon's gonna come and destroy you. Babylon's gonna come and destroy you. Babylon's gonna come and destroy you. and you. And then right near the end, he says, oh, and by the way, Babylon's gonna get theirs too from the Lord. Right, so um, he includes this "vengeance is the Lord's" type of language right near the end of the book. All right, and then uh, finally, fifty-two. Um, uh, he uh, again recounts the destruction of Jerusalem, and then. This is the last chapter of the book, and I have just enough room on the board. In verses uh, 31 through 34, in the last chapter of the book, um, we get hope for, we'll call it David's line. So what happens in verses 31 through 34 is that Jehoiakim, the king of Judah at the time of the siege is taken captive but then we get this these four verses or three verses about how he's released and gets to eat at the table with Nebuchadnezzar and what that shows is that there's going to be hope for the line of David right the line of the kings of David's sons right to survive in order that the Christ, Christ the King might be brought about, right? So there's this little tiny message of hope in the last three chapters of the book. um, And that's, that's how the book ends. All right. So that's your outline for Jeremiah. Uh, Any questions from there? That's actually a great place to end because then next week we'll just start with key passages and we'll um, just work our way through, through the book. So we're going to take one passage from each of these different sections here. So we'll have like about, I don't know, 20 or so passages to work through. All right. Um, Any questions, comments, concerns? All right. Either you didn't understand anything I said or you understood it all. So I'm going to go with the (laughs) latter. All right, let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have preserved your word among us and that you have given us your word from prophets like Jeremiah. We pray that we may always learn more and more from your word, that it may be enacted in our lives. We pray that you would bless our time together in worship and that you would bless the preaching of your word to edify those who hear. We pray this to your Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen.